Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Can I begin by extending a very warm welcome to this historic 16th century Great Hall of Edinburgh Castle. A, a, a welcome, of course, to our domestic media, but in particular, welcome to the significant numbers of the media from around the globe who are in attendance this afternoon. And if you're a first-time visitor to our capital city of Edinburgh, I hope you can find time to enjoy the fantastic experience that the city can provide the visitor. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's now my pleasure to introduce to you the Deputy First Minister for Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, MSP. Thank you very much indeed. It's my very great pleasure to welcome all of you here today to join us on the next step of Scotland's constitutional journey. Now, as well as all of the Will Kent faces, no, I didn't say old faces, of the Scottish media. I'm pleased to welcome today many journalists from China, the United States, Russia, Canada, Germany, France, Spain, and many, many other countries. You are all most welcome here in Edinburgh, in Scotland, and it's particularly pleasing to welcome you here today, uh, Burns Day, uh, the day we celebrate the birth of our national bard. Now, this enormous international interest in Scotland at this moment in history is both welcome and appropriate as we hope and intend that today takes us a step closer to Scotland retaking her place as an independent and equal member of the international family of nations. This place, Edinburgh Castle, was of course once at the centre of the ancient independent nation of Scotland but today, the First Minister, Alex Salmond, was very much looking to the future in presenting to the Scottish Parliament and to the Scottish people the next stage in what we hope will be Scotland's journey back to independence. The consultation document, Your Scotland, Your Referendum, lays out our government's proposals for that independence referendum. And now, as we launch the consultation, we seek views from all corners of Scotland and from all of the communities of Scotland. For in Scotland's best democratic tradition, it is the people who live in Scotland who are best placed to make the decisions about our country's future. Now, Scotland's journey to this day has involved very many people over many years, some of them we saw in the short video we've just seen. But it's no exaggeration to say that we have reached this day in no small measure because of the leadership of Scotland's First Minister, Alex Salmond. So without further ado, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you uh, Alex Salmond, the First Minister of Scotland. Thank you uh, very much, uh, uh, Nicola. The, uh, the uh, launch today, you're all very welcome to of, uh, the document your Scotland, uh, your referendum. I, ha I have to confess that this uh, venue of the Great Hall of uh, Edinburgh Castle was uh, rather forced upon us. It was one of the few places which were large enough to accommodate the interest being shown both uh, domestically and internationally in the proceedings in Scotland today. But of course, we're better than the Great Hall of Edinburgh Castle uh, to launch the great debate uh, on Scotland's future. This uh, historic place and the context of the build-up to Scotland's referendum, of course, involves both the, the past, the, the present, but above all, it's about the future. 
In terms of the past, it was in the, this venue of Edinburgh Castle that the, the first uh, recorded venue of the Old Scots Parliament was held almost 900 years ago. Uh, this hall itself was built by James IV, Scotland's Renaissance King, about 500 years ago. It does stress the continuity uh, of Scotland uh, as an ancient historic nation stretching back over a, a thousand years of independence before the Act of Union of 1707. It is Burns Day, uh, and therefore a quote from Robert Burns might be appropriate. Uh, for those of you who attended the parliamentary debate earlier on, you'll have seen the time for reflection with the Reverend Stuart Gillen, who read out some quotes from a, a letter that Robert Burns wrote to Mrs. Dunlop on the 10th of April, 1790. That letter went on to say, Alas, I have often said to myself, what are the boasted advantages which my country reaps from a certain union that counterbalance the annihilation of her independence? So it's highly appropriate we consider the past uh, when uh, we consider the question of this referendum. But the present has also points of great interest. As was made clear in the, the film that you saw, after a long adjournment of almost 300 years, uh, the Scottish Parliament was reconvened in 1999. And that Parliament, uh, a welcome step, it has provenance over a range of, of issues affecting the Scottish people. It controls some 80% of the, the spending of Scotland, but it controls only about 15% of the revenues of Scotland. It's enabled us to do substantial things. In the last session of the Parliament, uh, the Scottish National Party Minority Administration reintroduced free education to Scotland. In keeping with Scotland's historic tradition and wishes, we introduced the concept of a social wage. We have the lowest crime levels in Scotland for over 30 years. These were all substantial achievements and part of the re-election platform of the SNP last May. But the limited powers of the Parliament don't give us the ability to do certain key things. If we look at the present situation facing the economy and social life uh, of Scotland, we have no ability to expand demand in the economy. We have no ability to increase capital spending uh, to put our people back to useful employment, to take our economy out of the doldrums of Westminster economic management. We have no ability to protect Scots who are frightened of the uh, changes that are taking place in welfare reform, particularly those Scots with disabilities who are frightened of the consequences of Westminster legislation. We have no ability to decide whether or not uh, our sons and daughters are sent to fight in illegal wars such as Iraq. So these are the areas over which the Scottish Parliament does not have provenance at the present moment where an independent Parliament would. And so then we look to the future of the, the Scotland that we seek, the Scotland that will be the, the subject of the key debate as it unveils over the next two years and more. We seek a, a Scotland which is proud of its heritage, but is always looking to the future. We would emerge as a, an independent country with many great advantages, uh, thanks to the massive natural resources of our country. We would emerge as the sixth most prosperous country in the organization of economic 
cooperation and development according to GDP per head. But also, the quest for independence is not just about the wealth and strength of the Scottish economy. We want to see a society which has compassion at its heart. We offer malice towards nobody. We offer friendship towards all, particularly those other nations in these islands, but across the European continent and beyond. We seek to play a responsible role in the international community of nations. Can I offer two final points, the first of which is really for our friends in the international press. Many characteristics of the uh, democratic process, which has been re-establishing Scottish self-government through the Home Rule Association, through the Parliament, through devolution, and now the debate on independence. But one characteristic, uh, above all, should mark that progress. This has been over 100 years and more, an entirely democratic process. Not a single person has lost their life arguing for or against Scottish independence. There hasn't been so much as a nosebleed in the course of an entire century. It's a democratic tradition of which we are rightfully proud and which we share, of course, uh, across these islands. That is the method and way and exemplar with which we conduct this process and debate about independence. And secondly, as we look forward to this great debate, as we look forward to 2014, then we see the opportunity uh, to build a Scotland at ease with itself as a prosperous European society, which styles itself not on the might of its weaponry, but on the compassion of its social services, which offers friendship and cooperation to its near neighbours and across the European continent and beyond. That is the Scotland which we seek. That is a Scotland worth debating for. And so let that great debate now begin. And with that, I'm opening to questions. So we'll take as many as we possibly can, but uh, perhaps uh, the doyen of the Scottish Press Corps, Mr. Brian Taylor of the, the BBC, who's been with us for so many years through these debates, should ask the first question. Does that mean old? Um, ask about the, the role of the Electoral Commission, First Minister. You've made a concession that they would have the role of monitoring and scrutinising the campaign. Yeah. It doesn't appear clear that they would have the role in deciding in advance on the wording of the questions, as they did, for example, in the AV referendum, as they did in the referendum in Wales. Can you give a guarantee that they will be able to scrutinise your proposed wording of the question or questions? Yeah, we'll send the proposed... Uh question or questions to the Electoral Commission for their comments in the same fashion as undoubtedly was done in the AV uh, referendum. But I have to say, given for the, uh, for the facilitation of this debate, we've produced our ideal question. I, I cannot see there would be any serious uh, doubt, as I was saying in earlier in the statement, that such a question matches the Electoral Commission criteria uh, for simplicity, clarity and allowing people uh, a very uh, clear choice to that uh, question on independence. And whatever else happens, that question will most certainly be in the ballot paper. But, but just to be clear, just to pick up, just to be clear, if they say we don't like that question, do they, are they able to overrule you? No, the, uh, you send to the Electoral Commission for, for their advice, as was done in the AV referendum, but uh, I would be astonished and surprised if the question which we produced didn't meet the 
Well, it does meet the criteria, and I don't expect any, well, I, I don't expect any difficulty whatsoever in that respect. I also laid out the, the role of the Electoral Commission, which uh, uh, you say is a, a concession. I, I think also it's about experience, because, as you know, since we last uh, pronounced in these matters, we've legislated to have the Electoral Commission on a role on Scottish local government elections, but accountable to the Scottish Parliament. That's the same relationship as they would have with the referendum campaign, which I, I think will be satisfactory to all. And we also follow, of course, the uh, recommendations of the Gould Commission in terms of the actual management of the ballot uh, and the electoral professionals who have argued very strongly uh, for that Gould recommendation. Uh, Robbie. Robbie Dinwiddie of the Herald newspaper. Um, you say this question will be on the ballot paper, but if you don't get Section 30 approval from Westminster, would this question not be illegal? Well, as we make clear uh, in the uh, context of the uh, document, uh, if uh, Westminster puts un acceptable conditions on the Section 30 order, uh, then we would have the option of uh, putting forward questions which we have previously offered in documents which we are confident are within the competence of the uh, Parliament as currently stands. We also make it clear there is no serious question, of course, something which uh, has rather been absent from pronouncements by Westminster in, uh, in recent days that the Scottish Parliament has the provenance of its sole wishes to ask a question on what's called devolution max or any other uh, formulation. But uh, as I said in the Parliament, every document we've published, including this one, uh, we are entirely confident of the position uh, that we are putting forward. Lastly, I'd say I don't see the, the reason uh, to anticipate uh, that we should have insuperable difficulties. I think most people would accept that the previous question mark over the Electoral Commission has now been uh, resolved. I think most people would accept that. Uh, the question of uh, voting for 16 and 17 year olds is something which at least one part of the coalition government uh, at Westminster have been uh, known to support, as well as the opposition party at Westminster. Let's see what the Scottish people and the community of Scotland make of that in the consultation period. Uh, and thirdly, in terms of the, uh, the question on devolution max, then you'll have noted that the UK government's own consultation actually asks, should there be a question or questions on the ballot paper? Uh, and I, I don't think it's unreasonable at this stage, as we ask for uh, opinion, to, uh, to believe that that's a genuine question that was being asked in a genuine consultation. I think what will have to come forward is a uh, significant body of opinion uh, across the, uh, the uh, sectors of Scottish society uh, to see such a, a concept properly enunciated. We'll see if that uh, develops in the consultation period, but then, of course, that's what consultation periods are for. Can I ask one of our friends in the international media, the lady in the second row? Um, there has been some talk that um, the Scottish Government maybe see uh, themselves as, uh, as an independent nation more um, in affinity with Scandinavia than actually the, the, the sort of um, United Kingdom. What's your comment on that and, and how do you see that? Well, we, we share uh, many values, of course, with the, the Scandinavian countries, but our, 
our primary relationships will be with the other countries in, uh, in these islands. Uh, the, um, the, it should also be said that the Nordic Council, uh, the cooperation between the Scandinavian countries, it seems to, to us to have many of the attributes that we would see for future cooperation uh, in the countries of the, the British Islands. Uh, we have, as you know, at the present moment, uh, a body called the British-Irish Council, which uh, uh, only last week was discussing the common issue of youth employment and unemployment across these islands. Uh, that council at the present moment has uh, two sovereign countries, three devolved governments and three island authorities. Don't worry, folks, it's uh, been around for a thousand years. It, <laughs> it ain't going anywhere. Uh, would it be so difficult uh, to have that British-Irish Council cooperating as uh, three sovereign governments, uh, two devolved authorities and three uh, island authorities? So the means and mechanisms of cooperation, not as long established as the Nordic Council is, but nonetheless have been established and are working, and across a range of uh, activities, some of which I spelt out in the uh, lecture at the Guardian offices last night in London, the Hugo Young Memorial Lecture, uh, across a range of activities we would seek uh, uh, full cooperation. Uh, can I come to uh, Ian? I'm going to work my way back if I can. Hi, Ian McCorsha from Sunday Herald. Um, your question on independence is admirably concise. It's completely clear and unambiguous. Can we be absolutely sure that that question will be put and that that issue will be resolved before another question about devolution max or whatever is put to the Scottish people? Well, I go into uh, the discussions uh, with the uh, Secretary of State for Scotland. Incidentally, that uh, event has had to be postponed through his illness, but it will take place uh, uh, next week, I'm sure, uh, and we wish him a, a, a speedy recovery. Uh, and the Prime Minister, which will take place... Uh, uh, as soon as it could be arranged. Uh, but, I mean, I go into these discussions looking for agreement. Uh, I think, however, before people take... Uh, we, we put forward our proposals, but we've also made it clear we are open to the consultation period. And I think it's highly advisable, uh, whether we're talking about the Westminster government's consultation or indeed the Scottish government's consultation, uh, that we pay very close attention to the, the voice and views of Civic Scotland in particular. Well, the, there are, I'm quite confident if the, the, the will is there, certainly the wit is there, uh, to produce uh, clear, concise and uh, definite questions which will take you uh, uh, to a clear uh, decision. It's not impossible to ask two questions on a, a ballot paper. As we've demonstrated in Scotland, there are a number of ways to do it. Uh, I'm hoping that the, the Section 30 offer is as has been expressed by the Secretary of State for Scotland, a, a helpful enabling uh, offer uh, to put uh, uh, any of their questions uh, about uh, uh, competence beyond uh, serious legal question. Now, the Daily Telegraph is right behind you. more about the legal position. I was looking back at the 2007 National Conversation document, which was referred to in the video, which said it's arguable that you might have the power to ask for permission for negotiations uh, up until last week, we were told you would have the power to do basically any advisory referendum. And then today we find out, actually, no, that's not true. You would need a Section 30 order to do your preferred question. So why the inconsistency? And doesn't this show you're on a pretty thin legal ice? Uh, no, the, all the documents we've published, uh, uh, we've been confident of our position uh, according to the merits. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the range of uh, 
independent legal opinion, not least Stephen Tierney, the Professor of Constitutional Law at Edinburgh University, uh, which have upheld uh, that position. But uh, I think you'll find in the documents uh, uh, would rather give the lie to your suggestion of inconsistency because we refer explicitly in the document to what happens if for some reason, which I hope doesn't happen, there cannot be agreement in terms of the Section 30 order. Then we explicitly say that we would move back to the a previous position which we offered in 2009. And we were also confident and still are confident of the legal position. And the last thing I'd say to you since uh, maybe we didn't pick it up, the uh, the question uh, that we also make in the document, and incidentally, I think you'll find, if you look at it very closely, is actually implied in the Westminster government's uh, own documentation, is that there is no serious legal question over the Scottish government's current ability within competence uh, to ask a question about devolution max. Our international friends. Sorry, the gentleman there. If you wait to the, the uh, microphone, okay. Mohamed Abbas from the uh, Reuters News Agency. Uh, given that you're proposing continuing uh, monetary union with England, um, will an independent Scotland be agreeing fiscal rules with England to prevent the kind of crisis we see in Europe where we see monetary union but a lack of uh, fiscal coordination? Mm. And a quick second question. Given that you've uh, quoted liberally from uh, Burns today and you've launched a consultation paper on uh, Burns night, uh, in, your opinion, how do you, uh, in your opinion, do you feel that Burns would have supported uh, your push for independence? And... How do you uh, reconcile Burns' egalitarianism <coughs> and um, his, uh, his support for the common man with your choice of this grand venue? <laughs> well, can I say about uh, Robert Burns, uh, as people familiar with his work will know, Burns uh, was both a nationalist and an internationalist. Uh, the poem, uh, the song as well, that I quoted in the Parliament today, A Man's a Man for All That, is generally regarded as uh, uh, the great declaration of uh, internationalism, the belief in the the ability of, uh, of uh, ordinary people, the justification of their culture and their standing was the, the theme behind uh, Burns' uh, work. Another strong theme, of course, was the assertion of Scottish identity as being equal and valid in comparison with any other identity, and Burns spent a huge amount of time reinforcing uh, Scottish cultural and, and the canon of Scottish culture, which he felt was under threat from the, the forces which he wrote to Mrs Dunlop about. I know that the Prime Minister uh, quoted Burns in the House of Commons today, and we are perfectly willing to offer as a friendly gesture elocution lessons on pronunciation, if that would uh, assist uh, for the future. But uh, Robert Burns is an inspiration to all Scots, uh, and it's highly appropriate. I think you would rather like the idea of this consultation be, uh, being launched on, on Burns night. In fact, I'm sure he would. Uh, on your question about uh, monetary union, the, the reason, of course, that the analogy between uh, the current problems in the euro area and a potential monetary union uh, in these islands isn't valid is that the euro area is trying to have a, a monetary union which encompasses the Ruhr Valley and the southern tip of Greece in terms of the huge divergence of productivity. As you'll know from the recent GVA figures released last week, the productivity in Scotland and the UK is virtually identical. Uh, Scottish export productivity is somewhat higher than the UK average uh, and the service industry is marginally lower than the UK average. Uh, there's not any of the tensions and strains in terms of the, the different uh, statuses of the economies and their ability to compete as you have in a, a Euro area. Uh, I heard from Lord Miners, who's obviously not a government minister anymore, uh, that he didn't think that uh, 
uh, a monetary union uh, uh, across these islands would be uh, something attractive to uh, in the United Kingdom government. I find that extraordinarily difficult to believe. And I, could I just offer two suggestions as to why that might be the case? Uh, the Scottish share, geographical share of uh, hydrocarbon resources uh, would support a sterling area by the tune of some £30,000 million. We're not talking about direct revenues and fiscal uh, to government. We're talking about the support for the balance of payments within a currency area. Uh, secondly, as we know from figures produced last week, that uh, Scotch whisky exports are reaching £4,000 million. I would have thought that uh, uh, £34 billion, before we count the other £20 billion of Scottish exports, would be a, a rather powerful reason for any UK Chancellor of the Exchequer thinking that uh, that degree of support for a currency union might be a very good thing. We're proposing it because I think it's a friendly, cooperative thing to do. Uh, it is to the convenience of Scotland and England. There have been some highly successful examples of currency associations and unions in the past. There are some 67 countries in the world who have formal or informal currency unions at the present moment, uh, and the vast bulk of these, certainly between countries of similar levels of productivity, work extremely well. Angus. Uh, First Minister, you, you say in the consultation paper um, that you're prepared to um, seek views on the inclusion of a second question. The Scottish Government is willing to include a question about further substantial devolution on the lines of devolution max. Now, First Minister, that means it's a multi-option referendum, and your favourite referendum expert, and some would say mine, uh, Dr Matt Quattrop, uh, happens to believe that multi-option referendums on independence end up, in his words, in lasting di division and disagreement. So why on earth would you want to take the risk of that? Well, because Matt previously has put forward the, the view of a, an entry question in a, a multi-option referendum, as you're well aware. But incidentally, the, what comes forward from the consultation document will also be tested against, uh, against uh, academic and uh, expert uh, opinion. I think we have to look at the case where we have at the present moment. And you're well aware, Angus, because uh, you've been uh, knocking about Scottish politics almost as long as Brian Taylor and myself, not quite perhaps, well, or we perhaps haven't been quite as long as, as yourself, but your memory is as long as mine. Uh, and you'll know that with the sole exception of the Conservative Party, the leadership of every single party in the United Kingdom have on occasions embraced the concept of multi-option referendums. It used to be a favoured bill introduced by the Liberal Party as was then into the House of Commons in the 1990s. It was supported avidly by both the uh, Liberal uh, and Labour parties and uh, leaderships. Uh, the multi-option referendum can be uh, a position which accommodates various strands of opinion. So what I would say is if there is a significant strand of opinion uh, validated through Civic Scotland which comes forward in the uh, consultation uh, period, then I think it would be undemocratic and unreasonable to exclude that opinion uh, from proper consideration. And I would go further. Uh, I would think it would be unfair, and, and people's feelings about these matters tend to be generated by perceptions of fairness. Certainly, I don't think it's acceptable uh, to exclude it merely on the grounds that it might be popular. Uh, if there are other reasons for excluding it, then fair enough. But I've yet to, to hear exactly what these are. Back to the international press. Sorry, gentleman here. Uh, the second row, I beg your pardon, sorry. 
Thank you very much, Mr. First Minister. Borja Vergareche, ABC Newspaper Madrid. In this long path to independence, how concerned would you be about a potential vetoing from an EU member state such as Spain in particular uh, in the hypothesis of an application for EU membership of an independent Scotland? Do you have an indication, as it has been reported, that the Spanish authorities are uh, transmitting this concern to their to British authorities, and are you planning to address these concerns and maybe explain your proposal to the Spanish authorities? Thank you. Well, can I, can I point out that the, the process that we are talking about is, uh, as they say in legal circles, sui generis. It's specific to, to this country, to, to Scotland and the United Kingdom. Uh, the United Kingdom was formed uh, by a parliamentary union of Scotland and, uh, and England. That was the formation of the United Kingdom. If there's a, a voluntary dissolution of that uh, arrangement, then what you have is two successor states out of one, both of which are equal with each other and equal with all the international obligations that they have undertaken. They stand in equality uh, with each other. We can cite you uh, a range of legal opinions uh, backing that out. Therefore, Scotland would not be an accession state to the European Union. It would be a, a successor state within the European Union. Uh, of course, all Scottish people are citizens of the European Union at the present moment. They are part of the European territory uh, according to European and international law. Now, I don't believe that anyone, anyone uh, is seriously suggesting freezing out either Scotland or the rest of the UK from the territory of the European Union. Indeed, I have to say that what you claim are sources uh, in Spain actually turned out to be sources in London who were saying what they thought sources in Spain might be saying. So I'd prefer to take the words of the Spanish Foreign Minister, Jose Manuel Garcia Margallo, eh, at the press conference he held and was asked about this subject on the 23rd of January. Quote, at no point has any unease been conveyed to the British government. Uh, according to the uh, Foreign Minister, the Spanish process, quote, is an internal subject of the process in Scotland, which will be resolved within the British constitutional framework, which has nothing to do with the Spanish constitutional framework, they are completely different processes. Uh, so I think the words of the uh, uh, Spanish foreign minister speak for themselves. We must always beware in these uh, contexts of, uh, uh, of mischief making by our political opponents who may want to ascribe to other people uh, views which actually are held by themselves. I am I think uh, I see Magnus Linklater. Uh, the, uh, there's a light behind you, Magnus, which is why I'm having difficulty picking you out. It's a halo. Um, uh, <laughs> First Minister, um, you, if this second question, Devo Max, is included on the ballot paper, its implications for an English parliament, and not to say a Welsh and Northern Ireland parliament, are almost as far-reaching as those for Scotland. At what stage will... England, the rest of the United Kingdom have the chance to record their view about it? Well, the, the process, as you know, in the development of, uh, uh, of devolution in, in these islands has been asymmetrical, as, 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 you're, as you're well aware. The, the process by which uh, agreement is sought is through the, uh, the House of Commons itself, because any proposal uh, then goes to the House of Commons. Uh, the fact that, uh, rightly in my view, that's been expressed that... Uh, uh, a verdict for the Scottish people on independence will be accepted by the UK government, uh, not with, uh, notwithstanding. But the formal process is it goes to the, uh, the House of Commons. I'm interested in the idea 
uh, of course, uh, that uh, has been ventilated by some uh, ministers in the coalition government, that they somehow wouldn't accept a, a vote for, uh, uh, for uh, Devil Max, and uh, it rather sits uneasily with the suggestion by the Liberal Democrats that at some point they're going to develop a, a, a similar policy. This, of course, is a, a process we went through before in Scotland, as you'll remember. It's why it's very timely for the claim of right to be resubmitted to the Scottish Parliament tomorrow, because that makes the assertion that the Scottish people are sovereign and are entitled to choose the former government best suited to their needs. That was a popular claim in Scotland in the 1980s and 1990s. And it has to be said that the, the political party, which was the Conservatives, who withstood and stood against uh, that proposition from Scotland, uh, the Conservative Party did not fare well uh, in subsequent elections uh, as a result of what was seen as an unreasonable uh, lack of acceptance of the will of the Scottish people. But I think, uh, Magnus, it makes it very appropriate that the claim of right is being resubmitted to the uh, Scottish Parliament tomorrow. Gentlemen, the second row. Thank you, First Minister. The question three in the consultation uh, process, you describe in your speech that uh, uh, if there is an alternative uh, of maximum devolution, uh, it should command wide support. Who is going to measure if there, is go if, if there has been wide support in the community? How do you measure wide support? I think that, that's an excellent uh, uh, question. I mean, uh, the, it occurs, of course, in every consultation on any subject is how do you, uh, you assess the degree of support. I think it's a bit like Nye Bevan's uh, famous uh, elephant that uh, sometimes it's exactly difficult to describe, but you'd have no difficulty in recognizing it if it came into your living room. Uh, and uh, if we see a, a strong voice uh, from recognized organizations in Civic Scotland who come forward with their formulation and the, as is asked in the, the third question, the means of, uh, of putting it in a clear manner in terms of the, the uh, objectives of referendum as set down by the Electoral Co Commission, uh, then I think it would be unreasonable to not to listen to that voice. But can I just point out to you, I said it earlier on in the Parliament, that if you look carefully at the UK government's consultation document, they ask about question or questions that people should think. So they're in exactly the same position. But I think we'll recognise a valid voice from Civic Scotland if it, uh, if it comes forward. And just let me repeat, I don't think it's a sufficient condition to deny that just on the grounds it might be a popular option. Uh, we go to Sev. First Minister, the Electoral Commission have um, said explicitly today that they think that being able to assess and judge the question that's put is part of their role in remit, but it's not included in the Scottish Government's consultation paper in any form. Can you explain why you're not stating specifically that the Electoral Commission will have a role in assessing the validity of the question you want to put? Well, the, the, the Electoral Commission will have a, a role in the, uh, assessing the, the question, so can uh, uh, I make that clear. I apologise if uh, that process hasn't been fully spelt out, but uh, I really thought uh, we'd put the question uh, of the role of the Electoral Commission beyond uh, beyond argument if we have to 
uh, do more in terms of discussion, and of course we are limited in discussions we could have before this was announced to Parliament, and I am sure we can, uh, we can do exactly that. The Electoral Commission, of course, uh, as has been freely stated by Westminster, uh, and indeed reiterated by myself today, and indeed following the precedent of the local government uh, elections, will be accountable to the Scottish Parliament uh, for their role, uh, just as they are accountable to the Westminster Parliament for the role in other referendums. Uh, the Lady Free Roseback. Heidi Plowsgaard, Jyllandsposten in Denmark. I was just wondering, uh, will you consider uh, the result of the election, or the referendum, sorry, uh, for the final result, no matter what? Well, the uh, UK government has already indicated for a, a referendum on independence, uh, they would consider that result binding. Uh, I would consider that result binding uh, as well. I would follow the, the wishes of the, uh, uh, the Scottish people. Uh, and uh, that's been my uh, position over uh, a range of, uh, of years. And I'm confident, absolutely confident, uh, that we are going to win this, uh, this referendum. I'm confident for a number of reasons, but I suppose the most important reason is this, that uh, uh, the experience of the recent election campaign confirmed that if you put forward a positive argument about the future of the country and you put it forward in a way which uh, meets the uh, aspirations of the people, then that will prevail over negative arguments. Now, it may be that uh, as this debate goes on, uh, we find that the case against independence, the anti-independence parties put forward positive arguments, but uh, they've been few and far between. Uh, to date. The difficulty with scaremongering arguments, and we already see it with some of the, the more absurd of them, the removal of pandas from the Edinburgh Zoo, the lack of willingness of the embassies of uh, the United Kingdom to promote Scots whisky in the event of Scottish independence. <laughs> uh, I did point out incidentally yesterday in the Hugo Young lecture that actually the Foreign Office charges Scottish Enterprise for, <laughs> for commercial promotions that are held in embassies at the present moment, but I do actually feel that the international whisky industry will probably get by with, uh, if necessary, uh, uh, the, uh, which uh, I don't expect, uh, a lack of embassy receptions. Uh, it did remind me of the, the old ditty from a Scots entertainer, Andy Stewart, uh, uh, that uh, how nice it would be if the whisky were free uh, and the embassies full up to the brim. So I think, you know, scaremongering arguments dissolve in the light of day. Uh, and the quality of the arguments thus far coming forward at this early stage in the process, uh, the negativity of it will, uh, it will not hold sway with uh, the people of Scotland over a, a considered period for the referendum campaign. Alan Cochrane. First Minister, there is oh, uh, clearly a, a degree of agreement now. There is a bit of concession from... Westminster and yourselves over Electoral Commission, and you don't, you don't anticipate any insuperable difficulties, you say, in your negotiations with the UK government. You also say that there's, you think there's room for movement on their part over the age of the, the electorate, which, and who knows, you might well be right on that one, leaves only two conditions. Could you repeat that last bit? No, no, you heard me. Well, you said I may be right on something. Yeah, well, you, right. yeah, you, you are occasionally. Uh, so that leaves, that leaves two, two outstanding conditions, the timing and the number of questions. Now, looking at the timing on page 15 of the consultation document, 
Bruce Crawford could get that bill through in half that time. Uh, you don't need anything like that amount of time to, to hold the referendum. Isn't there room for movement there, leaving only the number of questions to be uh, argued over? Well, I think, uh, and uh, you know, I'm always uh, open to correction in the columns of the Daily Telegraph, I actually thought the timetable we laid out was a thoroughly sensible timetable. Uh, I, I don't think in this issue we should either rush the consultation. I mean, the UK government, for example, has already shortened its consultation beyond the usual period for, for consultations. I, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, I think we have to be sensitive to things like the local elections in terms of people submitting uh, their consultation, and that's why it's uh, the close of consultation is the 11th of May, just over three months' time. Uh, we have to analyse the consultation uh, responses. We've got the practical preparations, the, the uh, testing of the ballot paper. In the meantime, hopefully, we'll be reaching agreement uh, with the United Kingdom uh, government. We've got to introduce through the legislative statement the bill. The timetable for the bill, if without acceleration, is as uh, we've set out. People will not want to... Uh, short circuit or rush the bill. A parliament uh, uh, maintains and upholds its right uh, to have a proper parliamentary consideration. We published the white paper after the royal assent of the bill in November 2013. We then have the, I think, very important Gould recommendation that between the passage of legislation and the onset of a vote, there should be a period of, of six months. That allows us to uh, avoid the uh, the June 2014 uh, European elections. It also allows us to avoid the Commonwealth Games. I don't think anybody would argue we'd want uh, the Commonwealth Games within the uh, uh, election uh, period. Uh, and we come to the conclusion of autumn uh, 2014. Uh, I was amused, actually, the Labour Party asking for a specific date. Obviously, they hadn't got to the bit where we were consulting on whether we should have a Saturday uh, rather than a Thursday as the, as, as the date of, of, of poll. But, you know, I, I think that is a, a reasonable timetable, a very reasonable proposition uh, for uh, the most important, something which is agreed, I think, between myself and the Daily Telegraph. We'd better watch this uh, level of agreement that's breaking out uh, uh, that uh, this is the most important debate in Scotland for 300 years. Uh, and I, I think we've put forward a, a reasonable timetable uh, and a good proposition Nick, uh, sitting be beside you, is it? Eddie Barnes, a Scotsman. I, I beg oh, your pardon, Eddie, sorry. You've got a um, light behind you. The, um, the consultation paper doesn't include a, a question, a, a suggested second question on, on Devo Max. What would be your preferred way of doing that, if indeed that comes about? Well, uh, I, I have uh, you know, thought about this issue a great deal, but uh, you know, I think uh, the point I've made before, uh, that we know what the question we would like to ask on independence is, and we've stated it, uh, and uh, that is for the Scottish Government. That is our policy. Our policy is independence. The other possibility has to be brought forward by people who support and believe that policy. Uh, now, I've made my view clear on that. I, I think these people exist. I think they're quite capable of doing that, uh, and uh, it will be of great interest to me, and I'm sure yourself, uh, if that view uh, comes forward. But uh, the sort of people who have expressed a wish in this matter are not uh, negligible people by any means. And the sort of organisations which have indicated an interest uh, are substantial uh, organisations in Scottish society. You know, I'm First Minister of Scotland. I, I, I'm, I lead a party which obtained a majority in a, a proportional system. Uh, obviously, I advocate the policy of Scottish independence. But as First Minister of Scotland, I cannot and should not ignore 
the range of democratic opinion uh, in this country. That is also an obligation I've got. I have a larger obligation than just, than just uh, to my political uh, party. A lady four rows back. My name is Irene Durham, a Norwegian newspaper of the Boston. Uh, First Minister, um, there's no doubt that um, uh, your strong uh, conviction that an independent Scotland would be the best for the people of Scotland, but still you don't have uh, the support or the backing um, of your own people. How would you convince them that an independent Scotland will be the best for them? Well, this is what we're going to uh, determine in, uh, in the referendum uh, campaign. Uh, I, I don't necessarily argue that referendum and elections are the same, but uh, the, uh, as the Scottish UK journalists here know, that uh, if there is a, a gap in the opinion poll ratings, which seem to me to be showing a strengthening of opinion for independence, uh, then it's nothing like as great as the, the gap that we overhauled and closed in a matter of weeks and then overtook in the recent election campaign in, in Scotland. Uh, that's why I refer back to the, the, I think, the key thing that won that campaign. Uh, we won that campaign because we offered people in Scotland a positive vision uh, of the future. So the way to win a referendum campaign is offering that positive vision of the future. The points of detail, certainly, which is why we encompass the publication of the white paper, which is why we have the, uh, the time, the proper time for consideration. Uh, but uh, a positive vision of the future is the key to to winning the referendum campaign. Incidentally, uh, I mentioned earlier the calculation which we can make uh, clear to everyone from the Scottish Government of why uh, an independent Scotland would emerge at the current moment uh, as the sixth most prosperous country in terms of GDP per head in the OECD. Uh, I should say that is behind Luxembourg and second Norway. <laughs> uh, Switzerland and the United States, Scotland would be between the Netherlands and Australia in terms of GDP per head. Uh, you know, not as not as uh, fortunate a position as, uh, as Norway has achieved, but nonetheless uh, a significantly good economic position to start growing our economy and developing our society. Uh, I'm going to suggest, that if it's all right, could I take three questions together, and I'll do the same on our side to get as many as possible. And then all of us are available for, uh, for interview, particularly for broadcasters, and we're quite happy to do that. So if I could do a quick one, two, three. Uh, on this side. The gentleman at the end, and then the FT, uh, and then uh, whoever else has uh, had their hand up there. Thank you. Um, hi, Mark Hennessy from the Irish Times. This is going to be the most important vote in the life of your party, and many or all of whom, or most of whom, have no interest in devolution, Max. If you hear really good arguments for it, and if you finally decide that such a question will be asked, would you put that to a special delegate conference of your membership before, going, before accepting such a wording? I, I'll consider that, uh, that possibility if, uh, if there is uh, uh, any serious debate or concern about it. I mean, the party, of course, is a legitimate uh, expression of opinion. But can I just point out that there's nothing inconsistent in our formulation here. They, we were debating earlier with the the Daily Telegraph about what the precise form of words we'd suggested in previous documents. But in every document, substantive document, that the government has published on this subject since 2007, we had in one form or another the option of a second question on the ballot paper. This is not a surprise uh, to anybody in, terms of the, anybody in terms of the formulation put forward by the 
Scottish National Party. Those of you who were lucky enough to attend the recent SNP conference in, uh, in Inverness uh, will remember that I had a passage in my speech which addressed this very question, uh, which described uh, uh, devolution max or maximum devolution as a, a valid point of view. Uh, so this is not a great surprise to either the membership or delegates of the, of the Scottish National Party. Question from the FT. Could I have a quick question, please? Yes, of course Since you can. I, I seem beg to your have pardon. the microphone. No, again, Leslie, it's, it's a light. It's all right. <laughs> Leslie, it's definitely the light. It wasn't it's, trying to avoid you. And it's definitely not a halo this time. Um, Leslie Riddick from the Scotsman. Um, you had a wee bust up last night with Jeremy Paxman. Uh, what do you think of him? And what do you think the role of the BBC nationally is in this Scottish referendum campaign? I think uh, Jeremy Paxman is a fine interviewer and, and also something of a recruiting sergeant for, uh, for, the, for the SNP. Can I just say I've got absolutely no complaints about the, uh, uh, the conduct of the interview. People have to judge these things. Uh, I'm much more concerned uh, in terms of the BBC at the, at the present moment about the diminution of the current affairs output uh, available to BBC Scotland. Uh, it does seem to me Whatever other arguments there are, this seems a very poor time uh, to be in any way diminishing the capacity of BBC Scotland to cover current affairs. Uh, I would have thought, uh, given the significance and enormity of the debate that uh, Scotland is engaged in, that our national broadcaster, and just let me repeat, the BBC currently is Scotland's national broadcaster, it would want to have the capability and the resources to give all sides of that debate a, a proper airing, and I'd be concerned if the constraints that we've heard about in recent days uh, made that uh, impossible. But no complaints about Mr Paxman. FT. Andrew Baldry, Financial Times. First Minister, you've made a point several times today that um, powers to hold a referendum on Devo Max is definitely within the existing powers of the Parliament. In the event that uh, holding an independence referendum, I holding questions on independence, either in their latest form or earlier form, are blocked in courts. Are you raising the prospect that you might hold a referendum just on Devo Max? Well, I'm not raising that prospect, but uh, what an interesting question. Uh, we'll go one, two, three on this side. Michael Beer from uh, Berlinski in Copenhagen. You don't want to have um, nuclear weapons on Scottish soil, you said today. Uh, but is a free Scotland ready to pay uh, a lot of billions in compensation for London if they are asking for that, if they need to buy a new storage for warheads on English soil? You know, I, I, I mentioned earlier that I thought some of the stories that had emanated rather unwisely from sources close to the uh, UK government ministers were uh, rather silly scaremongering stories. The, the pandas at the zoo, the whiskies in the embassies, the declaration from sources close to the Chancellor of the Exchequer that we wouldn't be, quote, allowed to use sterling, which is a tradable currency, incidentally. Uh, I thought these were just silly and would diminish. I think Mr Hammond's quotes are unwise, uh, unwise for a number of reasons, but mostly, I suspect, because many, many people in Scotland will consider it as a, a very considerable uh, affront uh, to, for it to be suggested by... Uh, a UK defence secretary that having housed weapons of mass destruction deeply controversial in Scotland over a period of 60 years, that somehow he would think that sending us a bill for clean-up costs would be at all uh, acceptable. I, I think the MOD should probably concentrate on fulfilling its obligations in the fourth uh, with regard to the communities there who are concerned about radioactive contamination 
uh, and concentrate on persuading us that they understand that they have obligations rather than a rather unwise concept uh, from the defence sector. Mind you, uh, uh, Rabbi Burns once said about people talking about him, the more they talk, the better I'm Kent. Uh, I would think that the more cabinet ministers in London make statements such as that, uh, the stronger the support for independence. Mr Hammond may even be a stronger recruiting sergeant for independence than, than Jeremy Paxman at the present moment. Put me back. Um, Andrea Malaguti from La Stampa, Italy. If you will win uh, at the referendum, who will control the Royal Bank of Scotland? And if you will lose, you will resign? Right, okay. I was uh, two, two, two que que questions uh, uh, together. The, uh, in terms of the formulation, the, uh, the objective of a currency union tells you where the uh, supervision and, uh, uh, and applies. I could point out, for that if you look at the GERS figures that we publish, then UK financial interventions uh, are part of the GERS figures. We pay our share of UK financial interventions. All assets uh, of the United Kingdom and all liabilities of the United Kingdom at the time of independence will be uh, subject to uh, uh, agreement in, in terms of pretty well-worn formulas of other circumstances in, uh, in the past. Uh, and on your last point, uh, you know, I've learned to my great cost at various points uh, not to, uh, to ask, answer too many hypothetical questions, but if I'm going to hypothesize, I always try and hypothesize in success rather than failure. First Minister Lawrence Lee, Al Jazeera Television. Um, given the very obvious discrepancies between you and Westminster over foreign and defense policies, how do you suppose Britain would be able to hold a seat down at the United Nations Security Council in the event of independence? And on a, an associated topic, and given that there's a British warship currently in the Gulf, what's your position on military intervention against Iran? Well, on the second question, we all hope that military intervention won't be necessary, and uh, the SNP has a proud history, of course, of supporting interventions which have the backing and legal backing of the United Nations, uh, just as we have a proud history of opposing those uh, which don't. But you have to judge the circumstances uh, as they uh, arise. Uh, you'll know if you take, for example, the recent action in terms of the people of Libya, uh, that uh, many countries, including countries who are within NATO, but countries also uh, like Sweden, who are in Partners for Peace, who are part of that uh, part of that engagement, you, you cooperate with your, your allies. You say that there's hugely divergent interests between ourselves and our other partners uh, across these islands. Well, clearly that's not the case. I mean, Ireland, for example, is a member of, uh, of Partnership for Peace now. Uh, but also, uh, the, the disagreements that we've had in terms of military intervention uh, are not just disagreements that are held by the Scottish Parliament, the Scottish people. I was pointing out last night, if, if the people of England had been able in uh, 2003 to express a view on the wisdom or otherwise of military intervention in Iraq, uh, then I'm quite certain the English public opinion would have carried against that illegal conflict uh, as well. So, uh, you know, I, I don't believe that the points of difference uh, are huge. Uh, I, I just think uh, when you do get a point of difference like that, uh, it's important to have the ability as an independent country to make your own choices. This is quite a a normal thing in the world. And many, of course, of the, the staunchest allies of the United Kingdom, as we would be of the rest of the United Kingdom in the event of Scottish independence, of course, disagreed with the, the military campaign in Iraq, which is one of the reasons, of course, why it ended in, uh, in such difficulty uh, and disaster.
Now, I think, ladies and gentlemen, we may have exhausted questions. Certainly, uh, I detect the audience leaving the room, as such as the, the deadlines of the current 24-hour media. But can I say again two things? One, that Mr Crawford and Sturgeon and myself are available for interview with the electronic media. And secondly, can I uh, thank you very much for attending today what has been a reasonably historic announcement here in the Great Hall of Edinburgh Castle. Thank you very much.